You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church or service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. It's so good to, to spend some time in God's presence and, you know, I, I think it's impossible to spend time in the presence of the living God and not have something transformed, something changed, something spoken into, something healed, something uh, clarified. We come into the presence of the living God and he wants to minister into our lives. That's so good. That's so good. So... Today we're continuing our series in Acts, uh, and actually if you could open your Bibles to Acts 4, you might be thinking, hang on, you're jumping a passage, you've been in 1 and 2 for the last 4 weeks, and now you're going instantly into Acts 4. Well, just a recap before we get there then, the, the, the first week we talked about the importance of waiting for God to move, uh, we don't want to run ahead of God, we, we don't want to do things of our own initiative, you know, there are good ideas and then there are God ideas, and for this church we want to get involved with God's ideas, and not just what seems to be good for a church to do. That is our heart, that is our passion, there are a thousand things that would suit a church to get involved in the community. And some of them are great initiatives, great ideas, but they're not all right for where God is calling us to be at Riverview Church now. So we wait in obedience and patience for God to move and God to put the the, the seal of approval on what it is that we are to do. Uh, And then the next week, Ian spoke about Pentecost. Now, this was such a pivotal time in, in the history of the church. It's the time when, when the Holy Spirit indwelt the believers and there was power and there was anointing there. Uh, and as Ian unpacked that, he showed that this is actually like part of, it's like a, 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 a shadowing of something that had already happened in the Old Testament and was showing that God was fulfilling something in our days. And if you haven't heard any of these, they're on our podcast. If you have WhatsApp, if you have Apple Podcasts, if you have a computer or something, you can get our podcast and you can catch up with those. Catch up with Ian's because they're better than mine. <laughs> but, but go and catch up. The next week we talked about heaven's conversation and about the fact that the Spirit of God indwelling us enables communication. It's his power at work in us. And the first thing that he does, I mean, we can talk about miracles of this, that and the other. But all of them are supposed to communicate one thing, Jesus. Amen. Everything is about Jesus. So heaven's conversation from day one has been pointing to Jesus, talking about the promise of becoming saviour, but also with the warning, because there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. There's no other sacrifice. There's no other way to make up for our sin. It's Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And God so loved this world that he gave Jesus his only son. That whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish. We're talking about eternal death there. Will not perish but have everlasting life. But whoever does not believe stands and condemned already. Because there's only one way. Now, accuse us by all means of being narrow-minded. But Jesus himself says the gate is narrow. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then from communication, 
this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we find community. And that's where Ian preached brilliantly last week about the, the community of believers. And that's where we're going to also start today. And, and Ian pointed out four key things that that community hinged upon. And, and that was, you know, maybe you can remember this, it was teaching or doctrine. It was fellowship, community. It was the breaking of bread. And it was prayer. That those four things have to be present in a spirit-filled community. And, and he mentioned that they met in each other's homes and in the temples. In the home and in the temple. In the informal and in the formal settings. In the structured setting and in the unstructured setting. And that both were valid, both were important. Because we need to stand in the marketplaces and in the temples of this world. And we need to proclaim the name of Jesus. Amen. But his spirit is moving in our houses yes. as we welcome people in. Amen. Amen. And the question that I think we were looking at last week and we're looking at this week is this. What does a community of spirit-filled believers look like? What does that look like? What was the culture of the early church, because it matters. It matters to us today. It matters to us right here and right now. What defined them differently? This was a new thing. What defined them differently? What are the particulars of this newly forming society? What is the economy in heaven's community? I've heard a lot about economy recently, and if you've watched anything on uh, politics or on the news, you've heard a lot of back and forth about economy, particularly around Brexit, and, you know, this will be a disaster, or this will be a disaster, or this will lock us into this economic thing for years and years to come. Uh, And economies, communities are built upon their economies. Every community has to have some sort of financial and welfare kind of structure. Even if it's a poor one, every country has something of an economy. Uh, And through that, we we discuss buying and selling, earning and spending, importing and exporting, taxes and benefits. And, And those are things that are big, big arguments in Parliament right now. But every culture... Every society has some form of economic structure. So what was the culture of the early church? Let's go to Acts 4, and we're going to start by looking at verses 32 to 37. Yes. All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had with great power, The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For uh, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And there it was distributed to anyone who had need. And Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You can see where this is continuing on. Last week we were in Acts 2. This week we're in Acts 4. And we saw this last week in Acts 2. 
that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Do you see the similarity here? Now Luke's obviously mentioning this community twice for a bit of a purpose. He's, he's giving us a snapshot, a little highlight into what that looked like, what that community looked like. Uh, being spirit-filled. And there's a few things that I want you to notice this morning. Firstly, this. They were one in heart and in mind. And then you've heard the phrase, possession is nine-tenths of the law. I'm sure you've heard that phrase. No one claimed, I love that line, nobody claimed ownership of what was theirs. Do you get that? It was theirs. But nobody was claiming ownership over that. Nobody considered their stuff to be exclusive to them or to their family. And they even sold property and land and and, and they entrusted those finances to the apostles. The other thing is that there were no needy people, there was no one in need amongst them. Uh, And it sounds amazing, doesn't it? Imagine a boness where there were no needy people here. Imagine if, if we all had so much in common that we didn't consider anything that was ours, our own, but, but we, we shared it for the common good. But it sounds amazing, but to simply pull this from the page as a blueprint to say that's what the church should look like is dangerous. <laughs> It's incorrect. That's not what Luke is trying to get you to know this morning. He's not saying, hey guys, if you become a Christian, you need to go away and sell everything that you have and put it in one big central pot. That's not what Luke is saying. It's not a rule. And depending on where you're coming from this morning, that could sound wonderful or disastrous. If we actually put that into practice, Some of us would stand to gain quite a lot, and some of us would probably stand to lose quite a lot. I wonder where you'd be this morning. Would you be, like, excited? Because you're like, yes, if we all just share everything in one big equal pot, yes, the result. I would be happy with that, because Eddie and Simon are pilots. (laughs) And I'm a pastor, so yeah, let's even that out. That'd be awesome, I'd love that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Guys, I'm, I'm just going to pause there. You heard that, didn't you? You heard that. Eddie and me, we're going to combine our salaries and split them 50-50. Awesome. <laughs> so good. Listen, there's, there's no reasonable church leadership. And, and there's not, not even scripture itself that is expecting you to materially sell up and, and give everything to the leadership for distribution. You know, interpreting acts like that, I I really think it is dangerous and it leads to some false expectations. Because for some of us that could seem like a utopia and others that would seem like a dystopia, like the opposite of utopia. There was no expectation upon this church or any other in history that you must sell everything you have and put it into a central community pot. Having all things in common was always voluntary. Neither Jesus nor the apostles forbade people owning property or owning land. It it wasn't there as a do not do this. And even in the text last week that Ian read, we saw that they met in each other's homes. How could they have done that had they sold all their homes? (laughs) 
So clearly, some people still had ownership of houses. So those of you who've got a mortgage right now or have just cleared your mortgage, don't worry. It's all right. You can, you can hang on to your house. That's fine. But you might be relieved. Some of you might be quite disappointed. And so let me just look at those who may be disappointed briefly. Those disappointed in this. Maybe so, because it was a chance to level the playing field. A chance to raise your social experience, a chance to, to gain. Uh, and maybe, maybe actually it's not about that. Maybe you're passionate for social justice. Maybe you've looked around Boness and you've seen some of the areas of deprivation. You've seen some of the needs. And you think, if only we could just stop being so like, consumed by our materialness and, uh, and help. Now, you're not wrong for thinking that. Let me clarify that this morning. In fact, we should all have something within us that, that detests poverty and that wants to help people that are in that place. And when I say poverty, I'm not talking about being poor in spirit. I'm talking about not being able to put food on your table. I'm talking about not being able to heat your house. I'm talking about not even having a roof over your head when you go to sleep. We should be disturbed by that, and we should be like prompted into action for that. But we should never sell the gospel. We don't peddle for profit. I'm not interested in your money if it becomes a thing where we're just trying to be a rich, prosperous church. I'm not interested in that whatsoever. But equally, we, we can't sell the gospel to people. Have you ever heard this kind of thing? Have you ever said this kind of thing? I know I have. Come, come to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus and everything will turn out fine. Everything will be all right. Come to Jesus. It's, it's the best thing ever. You'll, you'll never worry again. You'll have everything you need. Come to Jesus and, and prosper and be healed of every illness. You know, that's not true. And it's, it's dangerous because at some point, hardship and illness and injury uh, and peril will face every single person in this room and on this planet. Mm-hmm. You cannot escape that. And, and actually, the good news here is that God uses that for his glory. And he uses it for his glory in your life by transforming you, by building your character. So suffering is a necessary thing. Poverty sometimes in our lives is a necessary thing. Paul says, I've learned to be content when I have a lot and when I have nothing. Because my contentment isn't based on the food on my table, it's based on the food that comes from the word of God. And so we need to be careful as we're passionately evangelizing, and we should be doing that, But let's be careful not to fall into the trap of saying, oh, it's just going to be wonderful. Don't worry about it. It's brilliant. Yes, meeting with Jesus face to face is the best thing that is ever going to happen to any person. Yes, he breaks the bonds. Yes, he sets the captives free. Yes, he brings healing. Yes, he brings prosperity to our lives. But we're not in this to get rich. And we're not in this to get healthy. And all of those things are still going to follow us. And actually what Jesus wants is for you to go through life, learning how to trust him, even when the circumstances look like you can't. We should care for the poor. But hear this this morning. We can care for people right into the gates of hell. Give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Give him a fishing rod, you feed him for a month or a lifetime or whatever the saying is. But if you don't give him Jesus, 
What's the point? Hear me carefully, I'm not saying don't bother giving, don't bother getting involved socially, don't bother trying to help people, but make sure Jesus is in it. We could buy enough sleeping bags to make sure there was nobody cold this winter in Falkirk. And yet if we do that and we don't carry the gospel with it, they're still going to die at some point. And when they die, they're still going to die once and face judgment, as God's word says. We can care for people right into the gates of hell. So we, we don't want to bring the food, but not the gospel. We don't want to bring the healing, but not introduce the healer. Now those who are maybe relieved, may be relieved because they've got something in the bank. And it's good because you're hearing this morning, oh, this church doesn't expect me just to kind of give more and more and more. I can, I can kind of keep what I have. And maybe, maybe sometimes we like it when we can justify having the riches that we have. And I'm not coming against that and I want you to hear this this morning. God is not against rich people. Stop judging them. God's not against rich people. When the rich young ruler came along to Jesus, there was something else that was the issue. It wasn't the wealth. There's a principle, a massive principle involved here. And it's actually in Matthew 19. And, and, and Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. That's what Jesus says to him. Give away everything. Go do some good with it and then come back to me. Because what you'll have done is you'll have stored up treasure in heaven. Now, firstly, Jesus was not asking him to give up his riches. He was asking him to exchange them. Because every penny that we have in our bank accounts is no good to us once we've breathed our last breath. Every trinket, every bauble that we have, every new mobile phone that we have, it's going to decompose eventually with all the plastic in it. It's going to be hundreds of years after you've gone. But it's not going to benefit you. Your wealth's not going to benefit you. It might benefit your kids. It might benefit your grandkids. You might be setting them up uh, for, for a, a more comfortable, safer life. But ultimately, that money is valueless in eternity. And so what Jesus is saying is you're putting all of your value into what you've got in your bank account. I'm inviting you to make an exchange. I'm not telling you to stop being rich but be rich in a way that's never going to fail you. And secondly, Jesus knew that the problem was not that the young man owned riches, but that riches owned the young man. If you find it hard to be generous with your resources, is it because your resources are your Lord? Uh, if you're sitting there feeling a bit challenged by that this morning, then I could come and sit beside you and say the same thing. Amen. If you find it hard to be generous with your resources, is it because your resources are your Lord? Are they ruling you? You know, we don't like talking about money, but not talking about money is actually letting it have power. Saying that's the taboo that we can't touch, that's giving money power. 
the same, let's not talk about what I've got in my account, that's none of your business. But that's giving money power. It's saying, like, I, I'm not going to talk about the fact that I'm rubbish with my finances. That's giving money my power, and giving money its power. If I'm happy to talk about it, it, it disempowers that false God. But here's the thing this morning, it's not about the money. It's really not. So this sounds like a, it's a money preach. You know, we're going to put extra big bags out today as they, as they come around in the last song. You know, just make sure you just empty your whole pockets and everything. <laughs> Chuck your phones in there as well, you know. If you've got any gold teeth, you know, just whack them in there as well. <laughs> it's not about the money. Possessions are secondary. The main point, the main point of what's going on in this community is, is that it's the heart that's the issue. Money and possessions, they're, they're like the thermometer. It takes the temperature of the heart. It gauges the condition of the individual or it gauges the condition of the community. You know, if you look at the church's bank account, this is why we, we put it up every year. We, we have a fellowship meeting and we say, this is what we've got, this is what we've spent. And even though we've spent quite a lot like doing this in the bathrooms this year, and there's a couple of... You know, the thing is, we want to be honest with you about that. This is what it cost, this is what it spent, and this is why we did it. We want to talk about our money. We want to have transparency there. We don't want to hide that away, so you've just given us some of your cash, and now we're not going to tell you what we've done with it. But, but equally, we don't just want to spend that cash on this building to make our little Sundays comfortable and enjoyable. We, we want that to have life beyond the walls of this church. Amen. And change this community. It's all about the heart. But you may well know Jesus references this. We can't trust our hearts. There's some good people in this room. I mean that. There's some solid, godly, mature, discerning, wise, loving, beautiful brothers and sisters in this room. But none of us can trust our hearts. And Jesus actually says it's deceitful above all things. Above all things. The heart can only function correctly when it's restored by God and filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to pause and I want to invite you if you've got a heart problem this morning. I'm not talking about physically. The heart can only function correctly when it's restored by God and filled with his Holy Spirit. Let's just bow our heads and pause. I'm going to carry on and say, Lord, this morning, if there was somebody in here who was feeling like they have a heart of stone that you are identifying, you are faithful, you, you told physical, that you are the one who replaces the heart of stone with a heart of flesh. So come and do that this morning. Come and replace hearts that have become hard or cracked with a heart of flesh. And God, I pray that right now and in this moment, you would fill people afresh with your Holy Spirit. Fill hearts afresh right now. Yeah. The question that comes from a heart that is in the economy of the flesh is what can I get? The question that comes from the heart that is filled with the Holy Spirit is what can I give? Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. How's your heart? If we're focused on the flesh, Our question is, what can I get out of this? 
If our focus is on the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, it's what can I put in? What can I give? Hard. It's hard. Such a hard word. And yet, just because you're not asking the question, what do I get, doesn't mean that God doesn't give. Because that Holy Spirit-filled heart that says, what can I give, where does that come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? He's God. When he changes your heart, when he changes my heart, and the question goes from being, what can I get, to what can I give, what's happening is your heart is becoming more like his heart. He's changing you supernaturally from, from being a human with fleshy kind of thoughts and thinking and desires. And he transforms that. And the Spirit of God, he, he's not going to robotically control you like this. But what he does is he renews the mind. And as the mind is renewed, we stop thinking so much like humans who want everything our way. And we start thinking like, like God's children who want to glorify him. And so when you're thinking, how can I be more generous? What can I give? What can I do? How can I show love in this situation? You're reflecting the heart of God for that person, but you're also reflecting the heart of God for you. Because he loves you, because he adores you, because there are cattle on a thousand hills that belong to him, and there's nothing that he wants to withhold from you. Nothing. It's all available, and he's already given you so much, and we'll come to that in a minute. But there's no rule to sell property or land, no rule to put everything together. But the church in Acts were one in heart and one in mind. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had taken all the individualism of our hearts, all the selfishness and self-absorption of our hearts, and he had started to transform it. And so there was a corporate heart that was demonstrating, reflecting, and living out the heart of God. That's why they were putting stuff, they were selling stuff, they were popping it in front of the apostles' feet. It wasn't because the apostles said, right, we need more money, uh, Graham, go sell your new house, sorry. <laughs> it was because the Spirit of God was moving on individuals, and Andrew's going to pick this up a little bit next week, I think, but the Spirit of God was moving upon individuals and placing something in their own desire. I'm not asking any of you to give here. I'm asking you to listen to God. So as I wrap up, what does a spirit-filled community of believers look like? Listen, faith is the financial system in the kingdom. Uh, and generosity and encouragement are the banknotes and checks of that economy. Before you give a physical penny to this place, bring a word of encouragement. Draw alongside somebody and love them. Before you place one coin in the bags, those bags are going to decay. The money you put in them is going to decay or be found hundreds of years in the future if we even have that left. Sow generosity into this church. Whatever that looks like, whatever God lays on your heart that that looks like. So encouragement. Be generous, not just with your resources, but with your time. 
with your character, with your love. Be generous. Be generous with your love means be loving even when it's not really called for, even when it's not even deserved because of this, because the heart of God loved you when you were still an enemy of God. How can you turn to somebody who winds you up and just want to punch them on the face and go, well, I'm not going to love you because you annoy me. How can you do that? Do you know how annoying we were to God? In fact, annoying is pithy. We were at enmity, enemies. We were an offence to him because of our behaviour. We're not just these kind of worms that he's like, "Ah, humans. Literally, we were deserving of excruciating death, and that death was put on Jesus. Every nail through his ankle, every strike of a hammer, that was meant to be your ankle. Every excruciating breath was meant to be your excruciating breath. Every bit of blood dripping down from that crown of thorns. That was a crown of mockery. He made it a crown of life, but it was meant as a crown of mockery. And it's a crown that we've all tried to wear when we put ourselves in the lordship of our lives. I want to finish really positively here. The spirit-filled believer is a faith-filled believer. And a faith-filled believer knows that in heaven's economy, there is always enough. Amen. The well never runs dry. My cup overflows. The oil does not run out. God owns the, uh, the cattle on a thousand hills. It doesn't mean you'll never face hardship, of course, but it means that God is good in the hardship. It means that he's faithful in the storm. It means that he's present in the fire. All of these situations, everything that you face, prosperity or poverty, God is in it, there, for you, with you. The spirit-filled, faith-filled believer knows that, and so even when the circumstances look dire, yet I will trust you. Let me tell you something very quickly as I wrap up, because last week I went to speak at a youth conference, and as we got there, this was in Abernethy, which sounds like it's in Wales, did you know? It's up by Killin, up by Loch Tay. It's not in Wales, it's in the Scottish kind of highlands. And uh, so we got up there, and as I got out of the car, noticed there was practically fire <laughs> coming from my front passenger wheel, like woo, smoke pouring out of it. And as Jess and I got out of the car, I thought, oh, no. And we called the AA. Jess actually missed me talking to these youth because the AA guy turned up right at that point. And basically, he propped the car up, had a little go around with the wheel and said, yeah, there's nothing I can do. Best you can hope for is to drive home to Bowness. <laughs> Great. So my brakes don't work properly and there's a risk that my wheel could catch fire on the way home, but you're telling me to go home. Great. So we prayed about it and we sent a message to the ministry leaders here to pray about it. They did pray about it. There's some incredible God moments here. Because firstly, like I was driving down country road using my handbrake, it was amazing it was good fun, not properly like handbrake turns but just using that, and then when I got onto the main roads I thought I can't really do that because if I use my handbrake nobody can see that I'm braking and and so I knew that I'd have to use my brakes but do you know what God provided somebody that would normally annoy me 
but it was actually a real blessing. An angel on that road going at about 35 miles an hour all the way down through the mountains, through Calendar and out the other side. And I was just like, the whole way, I was just like, thank you, Lord. Normally I'd be like raging, going, pull over! Uh, not that bad, honestly, but... Um, I was so thankful. There were other cars piling up behind me that were just not happy about the situation. I was like, I don't care, I'm loving this. God looked after us. I didn't have to, they were so slow. I mean, they're the kind of person that touches their brakes even when they're going at 10 miles an hour around the corner. I did not have to touch my brakes the entire way back. Tell me that's not a miracle. Tell me that's not God looking after me. Or maybe he was looking after Jess. <laughs> We put it in, like, no, I was stupid. Uh, I decided to take my sister to the airport on Monday because I thought, I don't really get paid till Friday. I can't really afford the repairs for this car right now. So I'm going to leave it till I get paid and put it in. I took my sister to the airport, stupid, because even though God gave me the grace to get back all those miles on the Saturday night, on the Monday afternoon, my brakes were smoking again. And I thought, I can't call the AA because they're going to say, you're an idiot, and just hang up. <laughs> That's all they would have done. <laughs> you know, good luck. <laughs> Call the police. So I prayed about it, said, God, I'm an idiot. Please help me one more time, get home myself. Put this in the garage tomorrow. I put it in the garage, and the guy phoned me up, and he gave me the price uh, and said, it's fixed. I've done it for you. Uh, I said, but I told you I couldn't pay until Friday. He said, no, no, no bothers. I fixed that. This is what it costs. Come pay me next week. And even then, I was thinking, okay, so technically, I can pay for this when I get paid. Technically, I can pay for this. But it's going to mean that perhaps a bit of an austere kind of austerity month <laughs> coming. Uh, we just left it there and we decided to trust God. On Thursday, two people gave us an amount of money. One of them just came through the door with an anonymous envelope. Probably somebody here right now. And it said, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is a love gift. You know, the two amounts that came in were exactly what the guy in the garage told me it cost. Exactly. And so, I'm not going to show you too closely in case you recognise the right one. It looks like that. I took it to the guy in the garage and I said, hey, look at that. He's just fixed my car and he's a hardy kind of garage man, maintenance mechanic, that's the right word, guy. And he, he looked at it and he went, what? I said, that's gone. <laughs> and he, he said, so somebody gave you the money to pay for this? I said, no, it's better than that. Two people gave me the money without knowing how much it cost. And the amount combined was exactly right. And he was baffled by that. Lord, bless that to that mechanic. Because he knows who I am. He knows which church I'm part of. And let that be a testimony. And I pray that if that was you that did that, that that would yield fruit beyond fixing the brakes on my car, which are lovely, by the way. Thank you very much. That fruit, I'm praying that that fruit bears heavenly fruit that leads somebody to salvation. Amen. <coughs> That's what happens in a spirit-filled community, guys. Amen. That's what happens in heaven's economy. We don't have to worry. Jess and I left our job in, in, in Poole, in Dorset. We handed in our notice, and we had to hand three months' notice in. We knew we were moving up to Bowness, knew that we'd be earning two days a week salary here, and that Jess wasn't even going to be earning anything she didn't have a job. And we're like, how do we manage this? Rent was, believe it or not, the same here as it is in Paul in Dorset. And we're like, well, the only thing we can do is buy, because that actually brings the monthly cost down hugely. But how can we do that? We've got nothing in the bank. By the time we'd served our notice, we had enough money in the bank to put a deposit down on the house. Tell me how that happened. Mm. 
And it happened because of a community of spirit-filled believers. And we didn't go and say, hey guys, church, we need a house. If anyone could contribute to this, that'd be brought. We didn't say that. We just said, we're moving to Bovess. God has called us. We love you guys, but we're leaving. Uh, and then instantly people come up saying, God told me to give you this. God told me to give you this. Once, well, one uh, December night, I think it was, we, we had a Chinese with a friend that gave us a Christmas card. And as we left the house, I, I just opened it thinking, I'm just going to be reading something like, we're going to miss you. And that was like three grand in this envelope. And they said, God gave us more money than we expected when we sold our house and he told us to give it to you. They did not know. They didn't know. In heaven's economy, there's enough. In heaven's economy, there's enough. And some of you are worried right now because it doesn't seem there's enough. Make sure this, this is my advice to you this morning. Get on your knees before Jesus. Not ask him for the money. Ask him, Lord, am I going the right way? Am I in the middle of what you want me to do? Because if I am, I know you're going to provide. Amen. That's the question you ask. God is faithful. You can test it. You can try it. You can push the boundaries of it. You cannot break the goodness of God. You can't. Thank you, Lord. Is there anything God says? Test me in this. Actually, he's talking about generosity, and he says, you will never, I'm paraphrasing massively here, you'll never outgive God. And he says, test me in this. Test me in it. We don't give because we want to get. That's a flesh-filled heart. We give generosity and encouragement because we know that is the spirit and the heart of God at work in our lives. I'm going to play a song that I'd like us just to listen to and prayerfully uh, kind of consider what God is saying today and then we're going to bring the service to a close.